You're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on Elm Street. This is another episode of Law, Life, and Culture with Betsy Kim. Hello, and welcome to New Haven's 103.5 FM Law, Life, and Culture. I'm Betsy Kim. If you love jazz or hate jazz, or if you don't know, today we'll have a program for you that you'll love or love because you'll learn something new. I'm in the studio with two of New Haven's foremost music and jazz experts, Noah Bloom, Director of Programs, and Jesse Hameen II, Chair of Jazz and Rock Studies Programs, both from Neighborhood Music School. Hello, Noah and Jesse. Welcome to Law, Life, and Culture. And thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I don't, I don't know that I consider myself an expert. My expertise is really just hanging with Jesse. So, <laughs> well, first off, can you tell us a little bit more about yourselves, how you got involved with jazz, and why you love it? Um, for me, I was born and raised in New Haven, and my parents were part of the New Haven Children's Theater. So there was always music around our house, both um, through live performances and performances in the community. But they also had an amazing record collection. And, you know, at that time, music was played out loud in, in the home. So although they had a ton of Motown and classical, really jazz was what was always being played in my house from Thelonious Monk to Duke Ellington to Dexter Gordon to Charlie Parker. So the sounds kind of made their way into my DNA from a very early age. How about you, Jesse? Yes, I also was born in New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, my... Um, my musical experience uh, started in the church, and uh, I came out of the, one of those Baptist churches, right, Pitch Chapel, and where they have the tambourines and the heavy rhythm and great organists and pianists. And so uh, many people in my, in my family were and still are some of the foremost uh, gospel artists here in the greater New Haven area. And my parents used to also play records. They played a lot of Ella Fitzgerald and um, Louis Armstrong and Jimmy Scott and Ruth Brown, you know, people like that in uh, Duke Ellington. And so I, I was attracted to the music. Then I, uh, I had another person here named was Paul Huggins. So Paul Huggins introduced me to the Afro-Cuban when I was about eight years old. That's where we started listening to Channel Poser and uh, different Preparado and a lot of different people, um, Candido. So I was in a band. He formed a band for us, so we was playing Afro-Cuban jazz professionally when I was 10. We was doing performances when I was about nine years old, but when I was 10, we had a professional band. And so um, we used to have um, listen, listen to all the new records when they came out as a teenager. I was just into jazz my, my whole life. You know, I think music reflects a lot about people and their familiarity with certain cultures, whether it's country western, the opera, 80s music, or jazz. And many people don't feel very comfortable with jazz because they find the improvisation less predictable and don't quite know where it's going. But to you, in general, how would you define or describe jazz? You know, I think... I think uh... Even the word jazz means many different things to many people. For, for a lot of the musicians of the time, you know, the quote jazz time, jazz was actually a word that they didn't necessarily embrace. It put a label on their creativity and, and kind of boxed them in. I think culturally jazz has always been 
an amalgam of many of the cultures that are going on at the time. You know, there was the blues and there was the Western classical harmony and there was the shared repertoire from the um, show tunes and Broadway of the day, but it really brought together all the elements of the culture of the day. Um, so that's one thing I think that we should definitely make apparent to everyone that, that jazz brings together many different types of music, but is certainly rooted in the blues. And in addition, the jazz artists, uh, we um, create music, right? We don't label it. Other people put labels on it. Just like uh, what they call acid jazz. I hate that name. But I'm one of the ones that was one of the creators of, of, of the acid jazz. That's, that's started with the organ groups. It was uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith, Melvin Sparks, Idris Muhammad, myself, Ruben Wilson, uh, whole lot of Leon Spencer. Uh, so Lou, Lou Donaldson was one of the fathers of that because we used to work with Lou. Lou, Lou was uh, 90, 90, 91 now. So anyway, so Lou, he um, got us, us young guys with him, and we were playing like our, the different uh, Afro, uh, uh, funk, funk music at that time, like a lot of the uh, syncopated. So the older guys weren't able to, to, to play the music that we did, right? So in the spirit, so each generation has a spirit. Like for me, I wouldn't dare try to rap because there's an mm-hmm. attitude toward that. So, so each generation has an attitude because it's reflecting the the, the, the time that they're living in. Okay, so yeah. so uh, so uh, same way the the younger jazz musician now they play with a different attitude with uh, not the older music but with the newer music than people in my generation do. But and I, I I hope that continues. So I'm not finished. <laughs> you asked me a question now. You gotta let me answer a question. <laughs> So, so yeah, uh, um, it's a broad-based question. It's not a quick. It's not. A, it's not a question I can answer quick. People don't know what jazz is. So, so now you ask them, do you like Ella Fitzgerald? Oh, I love Ella Fitzgerald. I love that. You like Frank Sinatra? Oh yeah, I love that. You like you like Count Basie? Yes, like Duke Ellington. That's jazz. So, so some people we say jazz. Then you got to ask them what concept. What who you think about when you say jazz? You don't like jazz. Many of the popular music that you hear. A lot of the movies going back in the 1930s and the 40s, the background music was jazz. Okay. The, the people, yeah. Okay. You know, and I once read years ago that the enjoyment of music is the anticipation of the next note and the satisfaction of then hearing it. So wouldn't that make jazz a bit harder to appreciate unless you truly know music theory or are familiar enough with a type of music such that spontaneity is not the same thing as randomness? Well, randomness. Um, n- noise is, 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 is described as unorganized sound. So randomness is, is, is a different than the unorganized sound. So, so, so with, mu- with, with music, with jazz, so what, 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 uh, how many times has, has an individual listened to a recording and turned it off? I don't like that because you don't like what you heard and you don't like what you anticipate coming up after that. You say, I don't think I'm going to like this. So you turn it off. So even if you listen to a classical piece that you have never heard before, whatever kind of music it is, you, 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 you like or you're interested in what you've heard previously. So then you say, okay, whatever's coming up next, I can anticipate what's coming up. I think I might like what's coming up next. So if you don't know the music, even with some of the jazz pieces, you don't know, even with jazz, some of it is written out. You got big band pieces, that, and, you, and you hear the horn section playing. That's written out. Every time it's played, it's going to be played the same way, even with classical. What is improvised is the solos. 
Yeah. I, and, and, and and what come what's coming what's coming uh underneath the solos, the the accompaniment or, or the bass, the, the, the drums, the guitar, the the the, the piano, that sometimes is improvised. So so like with, like with any any music, if you don't know that particular song, then then we, we you, you keep listening because of what you anticipate being the next note. Okay. I think part of what Jesse's speaking about is that improvisation is a big piece of jazz, but it's only one piece. You know. Right. The sense of melody, the sense of harmony, the sense of interaction between the musicians. I, I think what's interesting about what you said is um, the sense of space that must be present in order to create anticipation. So if we're anticipating something, there must be enough space to breathe. Um, and that's something that's missing from a lot of jazz today is enough space to have people digest it, to let the phrases, the conversation unfold with enough space for people to hear what's coming or what might what, what might be coming. I was thinking um, about that question of a great quote from Oscar Wilde where he says, the suspense is terrible and I hope it lasts forever. Oh, that's great. That's kind of what, that's a lot of the anticipation. Great art always has an anticipation and the unknown and that's part of the dilemma that great artists set up. You know, but I have another quote well, that let's, I let's want to... Let's not leave that question now. This, this question here, there's more to that question. Okay, there's so, more to that ahead. question because you you ask a question that's full. We may not get to every, everything you want to ask us. Every time I get an interview, sometimes the interviewer has a, has wants to wants to get through everything, but it's not always possible because these some of these questions are in depth, you know. So now, so with jazz, uh, first of all, the best basic elements of jazz is is, is uh, swing, improvisation, and the and the blues. So with improvisation, um, it's a conversation, right? So. Even you go on into a conversation, we came in today, we're talking, um, each one of us might have had a preconceived idea. I don't, I never have a preconceived idea. I don't know how a conversation is going to go, but sometimes we have a preconceived idea how we want a, a conversation to go. Same way with, with jazz. I teach, teach all my students, and so does Noah, that you can't go into a song, a jazz song, um, predicting how the conversation is going to go because it's feedback, feed forward, and everyone is feeding off each other and supporting, supporting, listening to each other. You know, Noah, you made a quote that made me think about a different kind of quote in that for some people, jazz is like Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart's 1964 attempt to define obscenity. You know, it's a version of, I know it when I see it. Moreover, I know it when I hear it, but I don't really know how to say what it is. So can you break down jazz and explain some of its critical components? I think Jesse was touching on a lot of the things that we think critical. I mean, I might turn that phrase around. I know it when I see it. I know it when I hear it. I might add, I know it when I feel it. I remember being at many universities where there would be some, in, in kind of some of the top music programs in the country, where there would be great dialogue and debate about whether a certain musician was swinging or not, and they would try to write out a little chart of where he put his notes and be very academic about it. But it, to me, it's really a feeling. And, and you can't take the blues out of jazz, to me, and call it blues. That's the foundation. That's the roots. That's the feeling that needs to permeate all aspects of jazz. Right. And... and- like what I said before, there's different genres of jazz, different genres. So, so people hear jazz not even knowing that you're hearing jazz. You think you think it's a regular pop. As I said, go back to you listen to Frank Sinatra and, and listen to Ella Fitzgerald. That's jazz. Listen, listen to, to Dixieland Swing. That's jazz. You, you know, you listen to a, 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 a Louis, Louis Armstrong. That's jazz. Sure. From one of the most um, often misunderstood fundamental aspects about improv 
improvisation in a jazz context is that the musicians are just making things up on the spot with no respect to what's going on with the melody or the form. And this is not the case at all. I mean, often there's a melody and the melody follows over chord changes and then the melody may disappear, but the form of the song and the chord changes continue. And the musicians are making up a dialogue and improvising over that same form. So although it may sound like chaos to some, it's actually a very organized conversation. Now, I understand we're so lucky in that you brought in some recordings of music to share with us. Can you play something that we can perhaps hear examples of what you'd like to illustrate about elements of jazz? Okay, um, on on that one, I I was thinking um, that since the neighborhood music school and and New Haven is, um, I I know you might, I don't want to touch on it or not, has a integral uh, part in the in development of, of, of jazz. So we, we I, I told Noah, I said, if we play something, let's play some things also that for some of the, the people that came through us. You know, uh, what, what did you, what did you So one say? thing we're going to play here is um, we have a summer concert series called the Twilight Tuesday Concert Series. And on August 1st, we have a great band coming up called the Black Art Jazz Collective, which features some of the preeminent musicians of this generation, including one of our alums, Wayne Escoffrey, who was um, taught by a lot of our great jazz instructors, such as Jesse and Jeff Fuller and um, Chris Herbert. So this is a song that they're playing, so you could hear some of the music that came out of Neighborhood Music School and also gives you a little highlight of what you might hear if you join us in the Park of the Arts on August 1st. This is called The Essence of Beauty. And it is a song, they write all original music um, centered on important African-American cultural icons. And this is a song, and, and let's see what it evokes for the listeners. Okay.
So now that our listeners had a chance to hear some of the music that you brought, can you talk a little bit about it and point out some specifics in what you hoped they would have gained from it? Well, the interaction, the beauty, the way the, the, um, the, the soloist was um, relating to the melody, to the chord changes, the progressions, how how uh, how relaxing makes makes you feel. So some people, when you say jazz, they um they they'll, they'll buy a record like this, and not know that it's jazz. <laughs> yeah, that was very beautiful. Yeah, I think you know I think that was one of the reasons we chose that one was just to highlight some of the quality of music that comes out of neighborhood music school, but also. I didn't find that chaotic. I didn't find the anticipate. There was a lot of anticipation in terms of the phrasing and the beauty, but I didn't find it. Hopefully, it didn't kill anyone. It didn't hurt anyone to to wait for the next beautiful phrases. And I also think, you know, as as Jesse pointed out, the type of interaction and camaraderie that's happening between those musicians is pretty apparent. And and that's something that is present in jazz, but isn't only specific to jazz. You know. Now, I've read on jazzamerica.com, a website, that jazz is America's music. It is from New Orleans and born out of and evolved through the African-American experience in the U.S. The site says jazz evolved from slave songs and spirituals. The website also points out that jazz's originators and most important innovators were primarily African-Americans. Can you comment on the history of jazz and race? Well... Jazz didn't come only out of New Orleans. Came from other places, Chicago and other other places, uh, St. Louis. Um, New Orleans was a, was a hub, and played a very, very, very critical, important part of the, of the growth and the development of jazz. And still does today. The, the high, uh, highly uh, uh, recognized rhythms would would have the uh, the African culture in the in the rhythms. Yes, it's it's true that. Most of the innovators have been um, African American, and it, it came out of African American experience. And but this is uh, it's it's a merger of African rhythmic culture and also Western um, harmonies and theories. It's a marriage, right? And then also it's indicative of Amer- of America because. When I was a little boy, even most people in in West Africa or, or any part of Africa, uh, uh, Japan, or uh, 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 China, or, or Korea, or, or Italy, or all in different places, France, they really couldn't play jazz, right? Even in the West Indies, you know, they, they they really couldn't couldn't play jazz with the attitude and the spirit that we did in America, and and uh, not just African Americans. People that wasn't African Americans that that uh, it, it, it's an American experience, right? And 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 it was developed by, by everyone. It was there was race, a lot of lot of race in the music. I mean, even when I was coming up, when I went on the road in 1963, I performed in a lot of places where I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't uh, uh, stay. Hotels where no color allowed. You know, I went through all that too with with, with jazz. So so uh, there was a lot a lot of places where. Some places didn't want African American musicians, <laughs> so you know, and and, and uh, so there's there's a lot of that. But but jazz, I think, is, it uh, 
it's a, it was a great healer in race relations because a lot, a lot of jazz musicians uh, integrated and, and like, um, what's his name, uh, that put Lionel Hampton in the band. Uh, the big band, big band. Uh, oh, Benny Goodman. Benny Goodman. Yeah, yeah. When he put uh, uh, Lionel Hampton in his band, so he had all, all white musicians, but he, he integrated because he had to be, said we have to get some African Americans in there. Do you think that lack of appreciation of jazz could be correlated not exactly to racism, as that would be a bit too overly broad an interpretation, but to a gap in knowledge or lack of exposure to or teaching about African American culture? I understand that question. You know, do you think that the lack of appreciation of jazz could be correlated to, in a sense, not actually racism, as I think that's a little overly broad and making a statement, but correlated to a gap in knowledge or lack of exposure to African-American culture? Okay. It's not racism. When I was a little boy, it would be called race music. We had we had radio stations that played only African American music, and they wouldn't they wouldn't they, even even when when uh, um, Elvis Presley came out, I was I was a teenager during that time. So there was there was there was the venues where the African American artists couldn't 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 perform. So but now people are the young people now are all um, in, introduced to and exposed to the same music, even in the African American community now. Most of the teenagers. Don't have a real good good appreciation for, for 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 jazz because a lot of them are not exposed to it because they've uh, uh, been inundated and, and overwhelmed with 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 the hip hop and the and the rap. Not saying that that's bad bad music. What makes music good or bad is the content and the and the, and the structure. So, and I, I saw that happen because my oldest son was one of the innovators of of, of the uh, hip hop when it first came out. When I was living in the Bronx, I was born and raised in New Haven. But I lived. Thirty-something years in the, in the in the Bronx, so my so my oldest son was with African Bombarder and all of them. This is before CDs weren't even out yet, mm-hmm. and, and and there was a uh, cassettes and, and twelve inches. So when, when I used to go do performances down at the Blue Note and Village Vanguard, I would drop my son and his crew off down 174th Street and Southern Boulevard, and they would hook into somebody else's uh, electricity and they would have their turntable spinning and playing the hip hop, and they weren't using profanity; it was clean. And so, so now, so now the uh, um, the youngsters now they've 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 they're exposed more to the to the hip hop and the rap throughout the country. So, so it's not. I, I think the appreciation is not racist. Racist. Okay. So I assume from your answer that you do not think that the discomfort that some people or unfamiliarity that some people feel with jazz relates to any cultural awkwardness that divides people of different races in this country. I mean, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jesse's maybe being a little too polite. I mean, I think they're certainly, you know, jazz has also been around for a hundred years. So when you talk about the popularity and mainstream culture, not embracing it, I think there was times when the number one songs on the radio were of the jazz style. There were times when in every club and every every dance there was a jazz band in the corner. So I think we've we've seen many different cycles of this. I think in some ways, you know, you have this weird dichotomy where the musician was the star of the show but also wasn't allowed to walk in the front door. So at the same time, they're being respected and honored for being an important cultural icon, they're still treated in a way where they're not. So I, I don't think that ever goes away. I mean, I, I don't think any of us can pretend that that's gone in this country. I think, yes, it may be exposed to a lot more people and embraced 
by a lot more people. But I think those underpinnings of racism are, you know, they're, they're not gone, unfortunately. Um, Jesse's eternally optimistic and does work every day to bridge that gap. But, but I think we still have a lot more work to do. You know, on the other hand, are there problems with an overly aggressive embracing of elements of culture that originated with another cultural group? For example, admittedly, I didn't see the film, but I've heard criticism of La La Land. Um, the premise says, is, you know, it was a Caucasian man who was going to save the whole dying art of jazz, which has African-American origins. And some people I know took this as an insensitive and oblivious example of cultural appropriation. Did you hear that criticism or do you have any views or thoughts about that film? Did either of you see it or like it? I mean, I think there's always a balance between celebrating and honoring cultures and giving respect to them and crossing the line, be with where we start to appropriate the very core of what they're about. I think if we can tell stories and make the history, you know, at the forefront of our respect for those cultures, then maybe we'll do a little less harm in honoring them. But, but you know, there, there's no, it's a beautiful thing that now everyone can be exposed to the same music, but then it also means some of the innovators and the creators of it no longer get the respect for the work they did to kind of fight those battles. And there was a lot of racism in, in, in the work that was done now. For instance, uh, a lot of the the great jazz artists were working for record companies. They, they, they would they would uh, record. Even myself, I did a lot of recordings. We weren't allowed to go into the mix. No control over the mix. No control over 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 the artwork. No control over over the uh, um, 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 the uh, uh, liner notes, and n- no control over what over what material. So some of some of the uh, so-called jazz standards now, which are big, they're from Broadway shows one now. So a lot of the, the uh, owners of the record companies and the producers were friends with the, the uh, producers that owned the copyrights <laughs> to a lot, of, a lot of these songs, the Broadway shows. So, so therefore, the, the musicians were forced to, to perform a lot of these uh, Broadway show hits, and then th- those became hits. Now, once a musician records it, the musician would... The leader would, would would get get paid, the sidemen would get get paid, and but the leader and the sidemen got no residuals off of the songs they recorded that were owned by somebody else. All the all of the copyrights, I don't care for how many records were sold, all that money went to the owners of the the writers, the the the, the uh, 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 sometimes the arrangers would get something, and and the uh, the, the owners owners of of the uh, uh, um. Um, the record company, not record the label. Company. Uh, um, um, oh, the songs. The publisher. Yeah, the publisher. The publisher. I'm, I'm a publisher too. I can't say the word publisher. The, the word the publisher. So, so and 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 that level. There's a lot of a lot of that um, was going on. The uh, new musicians have a little bit more freedom to to do it. And and all of the, believe me, all of of those masters were great writers and arrangers. Majority of them. There's a few that didn't write the arrangers, but the majority of them wrote the range, but they weren't really allowed to perform from their heart what, the, what they wrote. Okay. I think I think the reason why you see a group like the Black Art Jazz Collective in existence and coming here to New Haven to do this concert is these young musicians in many ways feel that they're beyond those challenges and in many ways feel they're ever-present. And they felt the need to put together a group of like-minded musicians to celebrate important political and cultural icons through j- through jazz work. I also think that that's something that exists in all art 
at all times is cult cultural kidnapping. And I was actually just thinking, as Jesse was talking about the labels, there's there's a little known story about Elvis Presley when he first came on the scene that his label tried to find out what style of music he was creating. And when he talked to them about some of his influences, they went out and signed the five to ten most preeminent artists in that style in the country to three record contracts. And then they never released the records. So those artists could never get out their work, and people would think Elvis Presley had a very original style and original sounds, and kind of put to death the careers of the other people that most influence him. And that type of thing continues all the time in all sorts of arts, and I, th I think it's an important conversation to... Now, I have to interject something else on that. Uh, when I was, I was working with Ruth Brown, I, we uh, did um, the Bonnie Raitt tour, and... We did uh, it was two and a half months. It was wonderful. I've never been treated by anyone better than, than uh, Bonnie Raitt treated us and respected us. So I worked on that tour with Ruth Brown and Charles Brown, who were both innovators. And their music was called Rhythm and Blues. So the music that, that we hear now, even uh, with uh, um, um, Nat King Cole, his, his music was Rhythm and Blues in the, in the beginning. And, and that's not another, another person. People love Nat King Cole. That's jazz. So now, so what Bonnie Raitt has been doing for many, many years, each time she does a, does a, a recording, she'll find one of the old blues or R&B African-American artists that she knows were mistreated financially, and she will, she will record one of their songs on her CD because she knows her CD is going to make big money. And then this is... Going to even 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 if that person not alive, then to help that person if he he or she is alive or their family financially. So Bonnie Raitt does that. She's a wonderful person. Well, remind <laughs> me to buy some music by Bonnie Raitt then. <laughs> so considering the presence and popularity of jazz in New Haven, which even hosts a yearly jazz festival, can you briefly say what is New Haven's historical connection to jazz? Okay, New Haven used to be one of the, of the circuits. Where, where a lot of, uh, not just the jazz, also to Broadway. Mm -hmm. Because when I was a little boy, for in order for a, a, a show to get to Broadway, it had to be a hit in New Haven at the Schubert. Yeah. So if the New Haven people didn't like it, then it wouldn't go to Broadway. <laughs> and so a lot of the songs that, as I mentioned before, the jazz musicians were forced to perform from Broadway shows. Some of those shows, if they didn't come to New Haven, they would never got to Broadway. Never got recorded as jazz songs. Then New Haven had a, had a had a circuit. We had a a, a a lot of lot a lot of jazz musicians to come through here. It was it was uh, it was like a the mecca in Connecticut. Hartford was pretty good. Bridgeport was next, but New Haven had more jazz than in, anyone else. You couldn't go hear all the jazz in New Haven in one night or two nights. All of the all of, not to hear one set. There were so many jazz clubs. The neighborhood I grew up in, the Dixville, there were so many jazz clubs there. That um, you couldn't hear everything in, in a couple of nights. You had to, it was just too many, too much jazz. And every, 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 um, they had, we had all different genres. We had um, even dances. You had jazz, high high school proms. People had jazz and live live music. So, uh, John Coltrane and many other people that came came through New Haven. Do you think, Jess? Do you think that had a lot to do with the geography of New Haven being halfway between Boston and New York and? And the corridor, or do you just think it it had to do with the cultural capital that was here in New Haven in terms of church music and the blues and intellectual capital? And mm, I, I I think 
I think it just happened to New Haven people because uh, Bridgeport is only 20 minutes away. <laughs> right. And yeah. I, I think that um, that liveliness of jazz is, is still incredibly vibrant here. As, as you know, we have a jazz festival, and Jesse was one of the founders of that jazz festival. This group that's coming to us on August 1st, they just did a world tour all throughout the world. We have a jazz camp next week, which is putting forth um, some of the best young jazz musicians, certainly in the state, and many that have gone on to have great careers like Christian Sands. So there is a whole hotbed of jazz education and growth and community here. Well, WNHH 103.5 FM's connection to New Haven is we host a festival of nonstop ideas relating to the community, including our program, Law, Life, and Culture. You are listening to Noah Blum, Director of Programs, and Jesse Hameen II, Chair of the Jazz and Rock Studies Program, both from New Haven's Neighborhood Music School. So the Neighborhood Music School offers a summer jazz program that runs Monday through Friday, August 7th through 11th, from 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., and you need to meet the early registration deadline by tomorrow, Saturday, July 15th, if you want to save $40. And also, I understand financial aid applications for the summer jazz program are due on Saturday, July 15th. So, Noah, why does the Neighborhood Music School offer the summer jazz program? Um, the summer is... At- as everyone knows, a great time to take on new things and sharpen skills that are um, challenged during times during the year when when everyone's busy. Our jazz program is, has a collection of the preeminent jazz educators in the state, people like Jesse Hameen and um, Joe McWilliams and yeah, Jeff yeah, Fuller, yeah, yeah, Jeff Fuller this yeah, year, all sorts um, of people, Tony Lambardozzi. So these are really the top jazz educators in the state, and it gives young musicians an opportunity to sit side by side and learn from them. Jazz is not something you learn in a book, and although you know there's a whole online market for that, it's really about the interaction with elder statesmen and, and getting to play and your peers, and our program really offers an incredible experience to saturate yourself in that experience. You can find out everything you need to know at nmsnewhaven.org. Some of what you want, what you want, want to know from, from them. I, I was going to say <laughs> the something. The rest you got to come so, to the something, program. Yeah, something inside here. Now, neighborhood middle school is, is like a community. It's a family. So we, we have some students that have graduated college, and, 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 they, and they, um, they, they, wanna, they, they, they come back every year. They say, Jesse, can I, I want to I help out. And also, also this year, um, it looks like we'll have Christian Sands with us again this year. He he uh, came out of neighborhood music school. He grew, he, he started. That's nobody. I think he was about six years old, or something like that, six or seven. And now he's he's going out to, to be a very very successful, well known uh, jazz pianist. And so so uh, he he uh, comes with us to summer jazz. So we we have a we and we cover a lot a lot of information in summer jazz. So your website describes some intriguing electives, such as the encompassing Afro Cuban and Brazilian understanding and application of chord changes, the four colors of chords, understanding melodies. Can you describe any of these classes and what the students would learn? Okay. So let's let's say for for the um, for the for the melody. So the melody is the king. <laughs> so anytime you you do you you improvisation, you're you are you're doing it on a on a theme. So some people some of the younger people now that that I've graduated from college, they teach from the chord changes. 
But you take a song like like Summertime, Happy Birthday. You've heard of so many different styles. So the melody is the same. It could be done rhythmically different, but it's the same melody. But the style or the genre of the music will uh, dictate it by the rhythm and the chord changes. Okay, so so we teach understanding the melody, which is king. Then understanding the chord changes that accompany that um, uh, that melody, which is which, which is a roadmap to to the, to how the, how the song is played. So now, so if you understand the melody, understand the rhythmic and the phrasing of, of the of the melody, then to understand what's going on rhythmically, then we then we have what's called rhythmic locking. So so we under, understand it as a macro and a micro uh, entity. So, but there's a lot involved with that. But that's that's basically what we're doing with the four colors. So you have the chords, you have four colors. So the four basic colors of a, of a chord is a major, minor, augmented, and diminished. Diminished. There's other colors, but those are the four basic. So when when you hear hear a chord, so we teach them. How to to hear those chords? How those different chords um, they they uh, emulate uh, uh, colors, uh, which is a feeling. So a major feels different from a minor. Diminished feels different from augmented. And so how to how to use that in their in their musical conversation where they're supporting one another and telling their own story and there's so much more. Something want to add? Yes. Do you have any music with you today that can illustrate what you mean by what you've explained as colors of chords? Sure, I, we, we can do that. Just to add one thing to what Jesse said, um, I think one of the great aspects of our summer jazz program is that it gives real life information for musicians who practice it on the bandstand. One of the challenges with jazz as it evolved into a more formal style of education through universities is what I like to call the dilemma of the dissertation. So a lot of musicians became overly academic about their approach and pedagogy to jazz, you know, kind of in need to write their dissertation, have a unique perspective, have an important theory no one else had um, thought of before. And what that really does to the musician is it ties them in knots and makes them think so much that they can't apply this in a real life situation. So what we get in a program like Summer Jazz is is a way of approaching music that's very holistic that really can relate to the 10-year-old who's a beginner or the advanced student who's going on to a highly acclaimed conservatory. And we really can cover that whole perspective by having very applicable things along the way. And let's untie some of those knots with some of your music right now. If you have anything that we could play for our audience regarding the colors of chords. So so we want to just play you two things really quickly. Um, Jesse mentioned this song, so I'm going to play... This is the great song, Summertime. This is the great song, Summertime. This is a kind of slightly less known version from a great art Blakey record called A Jazz Message. And this is with the saxophone of Sonny Stitt, McCoy Tyner, and a lesser known but amazing bassist named Art Davis. Um, and that's more like a minor, minor car.
So as Jesse said, you know, there's four basic sounds in music, major, minor, diminished, and augmented. We chose that song. Everyone knows Summertime. You know, it's, it's popped up throughout all sorts of music catalogs and all sorts of styles, and that's a minor song. But at the same time, it evokes a certain happiness, and I would equate that to the underlying feeling, the positivity of the ride cymbal and the, and the bass plodding along. There's a feeling to it that is both a rhythmical feeling and a harmonic feeling, and that's really that's the cornerstone of jazz is that, that relationship. Um, so that's one, that's one sound. The other great thing about jazz, and Jesse and I were talking about this on the way over as, as we knew we were going to touch on the the four sounds in jazz is the great thing about jazz music it's it's all there all the time you're not stuck in one little box and jazz musicians were able to navigate all these sounds in many times all at once so here's a song called all the things you are where within this the framework of this um, tune which is 36 measures you hear all those sounds so you better get there really quickly and you better come to jazz camp and do your practice <laughs> is almost indescribably beautiful. What is it that you really love about jazz the most? Uh, what I love about it the most is uh, I'm able to express myself as an individual, as Jesse had me. Um, even when the music is written, like say, for instance, if, if the notes are saying one, two, if it's written like a dotted quarter and an eight note rhythm, one, two, three, four, pa, ah. So, so that's that's the way the rhythm is, pa, ah. So I'll do one, two, three, four, pa, ah. Those are two notes. So when the drummer sees that, so that first dotted quarter and note that, pa, then my job is to announce to the band we are approaching, pa, like a conductor would say, next stop, New Haven. Then after that, ah, the next stop, West Haven. So I would say, ah, you know, bang. So so I can I can put my own personality into it when I'm what I'm doing about it. And the uh, I, I I can have a be with a group, you have ten people perform the same song, ten groups, and if they're coming from their own personality, 
you you won't feel the monotonous of the same tune being played ten times because you're going to hear ten different macro conversations on the same theme. So so that's what I love about jazz. So what Jesse loves best is that he can put his personality into it, and what I love best is that Jesse can put his personality into it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> For me, it's all about the feeling. I think, you know, we, we, we try to put words on music sometimes, and then you walk into a funeral or a wedding, and the music starts, and you start to cry, or you hear beautiful music, and you start to laugh. And when I'm playing great music, and I, I don't even want to talk about jazz, because there's really just good music and bad music. When I'm playing good music and that feeling is pumping me up and it's indescribable, my whole chemical makeup changes. Well, thank you, Noah Bloom and Jesse Hameen II, both of Neighborhood Music School. We enjoyed our very jazzy conversation with you. And we enjoyed that. All right. Thanks, everyone. You can learn more about what we do at nmsnewhaven.org. And and also, for those that would like to, on the, uh, the 11th at 5.30, our concert is free for the public can come in. We have two big bands. All of our ensembles do performance. So you're welcome to come and check us out. Great. I'll be there. <laughs> and so we appreciate our listeners for your joining us on 103.5 FM, Law, Life, and Culture. I'm Betsy Kim. Thank you. Thank you.